KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Contact tracing, I think it's something that just about nobody was familiar with a few months ago. But now, in the midst of this pandemic, it is front and center, and we have an awful lot of people that are going to become contact tracers over the next few months. So with that in mind, we wanted to learn everything we could about the concept of contact tracing. What is it? How does it work? Who can be a contact tracer? So to get answers to all these questions, we reached out to Dr. Perry Halkidis. He is the dean of the School of Public Health at Rutgers University, his school doing an awful lot to train contact tracers in New Jersey. And it's just a fascinating conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Give a listen. So let's start at the beginning. Explain what contact tracing is. Contact tracing is um, a very well-established, not particularly new technique used in public health to identify social circles, circles of people around an infected individual who might be infected. Let me express that somewhat differently also. It is a mechanism by which we seek to identify anyone who could potentially be infected or affected by an individual who either has has a disease. And it is a technique that has been used in HIV, and it is a technique that is being used right now to identify potential exposures to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the virus that causes COVID-19. Essentially, it is a process by which the person who is identified to be infected, in this case with the COVID, the COVID-causing virus, identifies people that he, that he, she, they have been in contact with, in proximity with, and those people are then contacted and are told that an individual who they've been in, in close proximity to has been infected with this particular virus, and they're provided strategies to monitor their health and to warn them that potentially they may also be infected and develop the disease. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. How difficult is it to do in quote-unquote normal times, and how difficult will it be to do to scale of what we're facing now? How difficult is it to do contact tracing? So human beings are difficult. Human beings are difficult because they don't act rationally, and they don't act, they don't always have great memories, and You know, there's a variety of different things that drive people to behave the way that they do. So under the most ideal circumstances, when you have a person who is actually functioning rationally and has a good memory and can recall and is willing to recall, um, that's half the battle. And that's good. The other half, of course, is trying to get in contact with the people that individual knows. So, So under the best circumstances, an individual can identify everybody that they're in contact with, is willing to identify them, is willing to, sh- uh, you know, uh, uh, to share all that information. And then equally, equally easy is the possibility of actually getting in touch with those people. So you can imagine how many points along that way there can be problems. 
The person can't remember. The person doesn't want to remember. The person doesn't want to disclose. The person doesn't know the other person, who that person is. They just met for whatever reason, you know, an encounter of some kind. And then getting through to people when they don't answer the phone and, you know, when they're difficult to reach. And we all know that we tend not to answer the phone when we don't recognize a number. Um, that makes it equally, equally complicated. So it is a very, very challenging operation. It is one that takes persistence. It is one that takes a person to, who is trained in, this, in a skill set to ask the right questions and to make the, the people feel comfortable to disclose that information. Um, and it requires enormous, enormous patience um, because it is not going to happen overnight. And when somebody has a very large social circle and they've socially navigated in many spaces, it becomes an enormous undertaking. So not an easy task, even under the most simple of circumstances. You talk about the skill set. That's one of the things I was curious about. In most cases, are contact tracers people that have some sort of medical training or medical background, or is that not necessarily necessary? No, I actually would say that I would prefer them not to have a medical background. I think the people who are the most skilled contact tracers are people. You know, the most important skill at the end of the day is to have good interpersonal skills, to be able to communicate effectively, make people feel comfortable, right? And to me, the team that we're thinking about building, that we are building, you know, at Rutgers, at the School of Public Health and with other universities in New Jersey, draws on public health scholars and, you know, social workers and counseling psychologists and nurses. So not necessarily, you, I don't, you don't need medical doctors. What you need, because the person who is the contact tracer is not necessarily, you know, explaining the ins and outs of the disease. They've provided with some basic information about that. But the, per, the job of the contact tracer is to identify the contacts and then to be in touch with the contacts, not to provide medical care, not to provide intervention. That's that, that the, those pieces are given and uh, provided by another person who is more skilled in either medicine or in counseling or in social work to help the p- people navigate the emotions and or physical realities of potentially being infected with, with the COVID virus. So not so the skill set is one that can be taught. And we are in at the, in our school right now. We are developing a curriculum that not only deals with the the essential elements of asking questions and understanding what contact tracing is and understanding its history and you know, understanding the challenges, but also issues of privacy and confidentiality, which are hugely, hugely, hugely important, and as important, a recognition that one one size doesn't fit all that all human beings are different. Some people are gonna react differently. We all hold multiple identities, multiple intersectional identities, and people are going to have to be fluid in how they interact with all the potential uh, contacts that the individual has. So, um, yeah, so training is required. I don't think somebody can just start doing it, right? I, I think if it's going to be done right, I know. If it's going to be done right, if it's going to be done correctly, somebody needs the skill set and to practice you know, and to role play, to prepare, to be able to actually undertake this operation. You mentioned privacy concerns, and obviously that's a very important process or a very important part of this. Let's say you're contacting me as a contact tracer. What am I allowed to know? How far can I know the name of the person or do, do does it have to be no. kind of generic stuff like that? 
No, you will not know the name of the person who is the, the infected person, but you will know that you are potentially infected. I mean, so, you know, this is not new. So, you know, back in the day when we, when we called STDs, STIs, venereal diseases, you know, people got letters from the departments of health and because, and they said, you've been identified as a person who may have been, been exposed to gonorrhea or syphilis or what have you. And never is that person's identity revealed. Now, in those situations, one might think there might be more, more high risk because, and much more stigma. But the reason that you don't disclose this is because you have to protect the identity of the person who is infected and because you don't know how a, a contact is going to react. And in some cases, people may be retaliatory, and we don't want to put anybody's, anybody's life at risk because somebody's having an overly emotional reaction, an overly charged reaction to being told that they're a contact. And so, you know, we, 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 have, we attempted in the 90s to implement contact tracing. It was called, we called it partner notification um, around HIV. This just happened, you know, you know, shortly after that the medications became available, the effective medications became available in 1996, and it would work very well. It didn't work very well because, you know, there was so much stigma surrounding HIV and, 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 and sex and same-sex behavior that people were not forthcoming. I don't think it's going to be that, that element of stigma is going to be evident here, but nonetheless, it is the responsibility of the contract tracer to protect, you know, the well-being of the infected individual, as well as the people who are the potential contacts by letting them know that they're potentially at risk. Do you see, like, I know you guys are partnering to help create the Community Contact Tracing Corps, and obviously mm -hmm. a lot of focus on public health. Do you think public health is going to get more of the spotlight going forward, even once COVID's in the rearview mirror, just because of this experience we've all gone through? Because I think public health is one of the things that people don't pay attention to until they need it. Absolutely. So I certainly hope so. I was having this conversation with a friend the other day, and I, I said, look, public health has evolved greatly over the last hundred plus years. You know, HIV transformed public health. You know, out of, out of the HIV epidemic, we learned about how we, patients could fight for their rights and conversations about social drivers of disease became more central and the health of LGBTQ people started to be attended to. So it changed, the, it shifted the paradigm and how we thought about public health. For a very long time, for the first, you know, I would say, you know, the first few decades of public health, and I'm going to take public health back to the late 1800s, early 1900s. You know, public health is really concerned with infectious disease, you know, so, you know, the 1918 pandemic, other infectious diseases, and as infectious diseases become more and more controlled, right, that re requires a shift, right? However, all of a sudden you have this blip, you know, as infectious diseases become, become controlled with antibiotics and what have you. But then you have this blip in like 1981 all of a sudden with HIV, right? And again, you're dealing with an infectious disease, this time a sexualized disease, this one a very stigmatized disease. And I think the activism and the, um, the, the focus on how social conditions drive health was, finds its heart and soul in the HIV epidemic and the work of activists like Larry Kramer, who just, you know, died, you know, a leader in, in, that, in that movement. And so that was a shift. And all of a sudden we started to think about public health, thinking about how is it that social conditions fuel health disparities? And I think this moment is another shift, right? Because it refocuses and opens, you know, it, it refocuses um, our attention on issues of 
um, difference, on issues of access, on issues of marginalization and discrimination, all of which fuel disease states, right? It's also shown us very clearly how pub- public health and politics go hand in hand with each other. So I think this is going to be another one of those moments when public health comes out of this, you know, with a different a growth spurt, let's say, in thinking how it does business. I have always said that to my students at the school that I think public health is an activist sport. It's an activist discipline. You have to be willing to do. And I think for a while there, it became a little sleepy. I'm hoping this re-energizes it because I think a good public health scholar is also an activist. And I think that will come out of this moment in time. Give us some context. I know we're talking about uh, close to a thousand members of or thousand contact tracers looking to be trained going forward here as part of the Community Contact Tracing Corps, if my info is correct. How many people, let's say six months ago, would a state, specifically, let's say New Jersey, dedicated to contact tracing? Well, so I think we actually need more, more like four to five thousand in New Jersey. Um, we're going to rev up with a thousand at first. I mean, you can't just bring all five thousand at once. You got to phase it in because this, this pandemic, this disease is not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, so, I mean, if I understand your question before, you know, how, how what was the level of contact tracers before? I mean, there were contact tracers, epidemiologists, and other people in our local health departments who did contact tracing, right? But they were not certainly in this number because we have not seen a disease like this in a very long time. And so, yeah, there were there were people, there were contact tracers, but certainly not in the, the thousands that we're going to need now. If they were there, we would have them. We don't have them right now. Right now, we have probably mm, close to maybe 800 to 1,000, as Governor Murphy says. We're going to add another 500 probably in the next month or so. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where we're going to, if, the, if this disease continues, and let's hope we find a cure or there's a vaccine or something, I would hope that. I'd be happy to be out of the COVID-19 business, you know, sooner rather than later. But without any of those things, we're going to need four to 5,000 over the course of the next, you know, six months. And so the, 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 the workforce is not there. One of the great things, though, that out of this, you, know, that you always have like these horrible situations in life, and then there's a silver lining that comes out of it. And so, you know, people lost their jobs. Here's an opportunity for us to employ people again, at least in some capacity, right? So we can pour money back into the state, you know, retool people with a new set of skills. And it's, I, I, you know, I, I like that element of it. I don't love that people lost their jobs. I don't love that people are getting sick. But, you know, if I have to find a bright spot here, here's, here's stuff. Here's one. I'll hold on to that as an idea of a bright spot. And we've kind of mentioned it here. I know you... The, the school is partnering with the state to, to mm-hmm. train these mm-hmm. these contact tracers and also trying to, to branch out and work with other other educational uh, places. Do yeah. you to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing? Yeah. So, look, I really feel I'm like a real. So I'm an HIV researcher by training and I'm a real grassroots guy. So I think empowering communities and local localities is really where it's at. And so this is the ethos, the, th- the thought process we're bringing to the work. So what we're doing is in our within our Center for Public Health Workforce Development, which is led by um, two scholars, well, it's a whole team, but Mitch Rosen and Colleen um, Wharton. Colleen Wharton are two of our scholars who lead this, this, this center that has done thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of types of trainings throughout the state on emergency preparedness and a variety of other topics. They're leading the effort with a bunch of our folks in our school. And so we are building a curriculum um, internally with all of our different um, colleagues at Rutgers 
with public health at its core, but certainly informed by social work and medicine and what the other thing. We have gotten to the point we have a 12 we have a 12 course module that's going to be delivered online. Now we are also working with all the universities and colleges, or most of them, around this around the state. I have, I am forming as we speak an external advisory council um, of higher education leaders to help and to to have them give voice. Also to this process, we are going to be recruiting students and alums from not just Rutgers School of Public Health, but from other Rutgers schools and from other universities like NJIT and TCNJ and, and Montclair and what have you. So this is a real, and the community colleges, this is a real collaborative effort. And why is that? Well, because it should be, because that's just the right thing to do, right? But more, but as important because for contact tracing to really work well, you can't just place, let's say, I don't know, a New Yorker who knows nothing about uh, Ocean County into Ocean County to do tracing. I don't think you should do that. I think you need people who actually understand their communities and the people in those communities and the cultures and the, and, you know, and the diversity. And so why you need a robust team from across the state is because you need contact tracers who are actually going to be nested within the, the communities that they come from. That's the ideal situation, right? Ideal, ideal, ideal. And that's what we're going to aspire for. And I think we can get there. So that's what we're doing. So the tracers, we will, we will, we will recruit. You know, we've got a whole list of, in, of individuals who are already like, I think there's like, I don't know, thousands and thousands and maybe 18,000. I might be making this up, but I think 18,000 last I heard had, had registered, but we will launch an application. It'll be very simple. We'll start hiring people. We will train them. They will practice. They will then be deployed to like to the local, to the to the counties, hope uh, preferably to the counties and mostly to the counties that they, from which they come um, from which they were raised or which they have an awareness. And then within the county, they will deploy to each of the municipalities on as needed basis to conduct the contact tracing. So to me, it's really about trying to match the person who is going to be the tracer to the context in which they're going to do the tracing. And uh, that's really what we're going to be doing. And a lot of work. It's a lot of work because, you know, you the training is, is complex and because making sure people do it right is, is important and making sure that everybody who uh, has a voice in this in this situation, which would be all New Jerseyans, um, their voices represented, uh, that we address like, you know, this great diversity that exists in this state. Right. And not just in terms of like race and ethnicity and culture, but sexual orientation and gender and geography and municipal, you know, urban, rural, suburban, like all of those factors make for a very, very complex little state. Right. And it means that you have to be very thoughtful to how you do that, how you how you how you train tracers and why I think the program will be really good is because we're not just taking a generic program. We are taking elements of programs that are out there, but we are adding training that is specific to New Jersey, right? Because unless you understand culture and context and the place, the place where the, where the, where the people are living and being exposed, then the contact tracing in, in my view, and I think in the view of the literature would be much less effective. And if someone hears this, thinks they might be good at this, might be looking for the opportunity. Is there a place that they start if they're interested in maybe becoming a contact tracer? Yep, and we're going to need all the great, dedicated, compassionate minds in this process. And there is a website that's been established by the Department of Health 
Um, if you go to that website, they, there is a registration link for contact tracers. They should, you should go there and register to, as a, if you're interested in being a contact tracer. And then, you know, you know, with four or five thousand people that we ultimately probably will need, you know, there's a great opportunity that people will be called upon. Um, so that's what you should do um, if you're interested. And students who are in the schools um, throughout the state of New Jersey should be in contact with their administration of their schools, expressing interest. And I'm I'm speaking to the other leadership of the other schools and universities throughout the state, so that that's their avenue to uh, engaging with us about this about this really important project. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.